uh, week two here, Romans chapter one. I'm calling this part one because as I mentioned earlier, we're really only gonna cover the first 17 verses. And for those of you that have been part of our small groups in the past, uh, which is pretty much Mary and Susan, what we've done in the past is we've covered a whole chapter. But I really feel this time around, as the Lord has given me utterance, I'm gonna share certain revelations that he's given to me. And he's putting a burden on my heart for this particular chapter for us to come into a knowledge and understanding of things that maybe over the years as Christians we've just kind of skipped over or we've had kind of an understanding but not a really deep understanding okay if I were to give this session a title which from time to time I do I would entitle it as such grace faith and the gospel of Jesus Christ so in this, I'm going to skip over several verses over here. Verse one through six, really, really powerful. Like last week when I took an opportunity and I, I answered the question, who am I to be able to, to sit in front of you and share with you about the book of Romans? Paul does the exact same thing. In verses one through six, he basically establishes for his audience who he is and by what authority he can write to them. Now Paul was not unknown to the Romans, but Paul had never been to Rome. Others had gone to Rome and others had shared the gospel. So the Romans were not unaware of the gospel, but as he says in verse 11 and 12, he speaks about, listen, I want to come that I can impart something to you and that our mutual faith can be established. But in the first six verses, he comes forward and he says, this is who I am and by what authority I'm speaking to you. And then in the seventh verse, he tells you who he's writing to. But what I wanna, uh, I wanna focus on here today, or at least the, the initial part over here is verse five. And in verse five, I'm gonna read that through. Through him, speaking of Jesus, through him we have received grace and apostleship and apostleship, sorry, for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. And one of the things that I realize, because it's happened in my own life, and this studying into it has brought me into a deeper understanding, is the word grace can be a kind of nebulous term. Um, we say, oh, by the grace of God. But do we really understand what grace is and its implications for us and to us as Christians and what it means to others that have not yet come into the faith? So I want to share with you a couple of things about grace. First and foremost, it's amazing. It's so amazing they wrote a song about it. Okay? But the word grace, as shared here, is the word charis. You guys have heard of Charis Bible College, right? The, Charis is the word grace. And I, I think most of us over the years, if you've been in the Lord for any period of time, have come to know or understand that the, worst, the word grace basically means an unwarranted favor from God. But what does that really mean? Because you see all through the, uh, the New Testament, the word grace is used over and over again, and it doesn't have the same implication. It doesn't have the same meaning. So does 
this word grace have a different meaning than this word grace in the original text? Because remember what I said, we're going to do a deep dive into some of these words so that we understand. Um, grace is commonly described, as I said, as unwarranted favor, or I heard this described one time, an undeserved gift to an undeserving, undeserving people, and more accurately, an ill-deserving people people that absolutely positively have no claim on the gift of God, okay? Uh, the word charis literally means, when you look it on up in, in Bible Hub, uh, I told you all about Bible Hub, the resource, or go into the Strongs, it means a kindness, a gift, or a blessing brought to man from God. It has an understood meaning of leaning towards just as if God is leaning towards us, he provides his favor to us, he leans into us. That's what the word charis means in the original text here for, um, for grace. And I said, okay, that's really good, but is that deep enough for us to really understand what does grace really mean? Because the next time anyone here says, by the grace of God, I want you to really clearly understand. Now. I did a Google search and I found out that there's two types of faith, there's three types of faith, there's four, there's all the way up to six types, and there may be even more than that. So depending on who you listen to, there's different types of faith, but there's really only one type of faith. It's God leaning into us and providing for us that which we don't deserve. But what I did is I broke it down based on some scriptures on four elements that I think that are really important that are repeated throughout the New Testament that will help us to understand so that when we see the word grace, we'll say, okay, which, which element of this, because it's the entirety, it's all of it, but sometimes he's referring more towards this than anything else. The first one, common grace. And anytime we talk about anything with God, I hesitate to use the word common because God is a lot of things, but common is not one of them. Okay, but common grace, think of it like this. It is um, things that we don't deserve, but they're common to all of God's creation. Everybody go like this. <sighs> That's by the grace of God. The fact that you wake up in the morning is the grace of God, but it's common to all of us. It's not like we're gonna give her this grace and we're not gonna give Lane this grace, unless he decides to ride a bull, okay? So the thing is, grace, a common grace, if you think about a common grace, it's God extending his love to all of his creation that we can all plug into, okay? But it's still not deserved. Just because he extends it to everybody doesn't mean that we have any claim on that, that we can say, I deserve my next breath, or I deserve this or that. Acts 17, 25. Speaking of God, it says this, he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So if there is something, let's say, Lane was the best rodeo guy since the creation of Roe or Dio, okay? He's the best rodeo guy ever. What this scripture says is even then, Lane has no claim to him being the best because there is no gift that he has. There's nothing that he has that God didn't give him. There's no skill, there's no ability. Yeah, but I worked really hard on that. 
praise God for the ability to understand what he what you learned along the way all right that is a common grace that we all have God gives Acts 17 25 he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things here's another scripture Matthew 4 I'm sorry Matthew 5 45 says he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust so this is kind of a way of saying in regards to the grace of God the common grace of God you ain't special it ain't gonna rain on you and not over here on Carrie okay it's just not gonna happen unless God intervenes which is entirely possible this is one of my favorite Job 34 14 and 15 says this speaking of God if he should determine to do so if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust remember in Genesis God formed man out of the earth and breathed life in him and what this says is if God decides he's pulling his breath back guess what dirt you're dirt okay but by the grace of God he doesn't withdraw his breath from us and that breath actually means it's pneuma the Greek word I believe is pneuma which means spirit when God breathes into us by the grace of God he doesn't remove that breath from us unless you believe that it's impossible or so unlikely that God would not remove common grace from people I want to remind you of Exodus chapter 10 Exodus chapter 10 starting in uh, verse 21 through 23 is the ninth judgment on the people of Egypt and what happens is darkness God caused darkness to fall over Egypt it was so dark it says people didn't even leave their houses they couldn't even get up out of their houses it was so dark it says in scripture that they could feel the darkness that is an absolute absence of light and it was God's ninth judgment but here's the thing in Goshen where God's people were the Israelites it says in verse 23 that the Israelites still had light so how is it that the Israelites can have light but Egypt doesn't God removed his common grace to the Egyptian people as a judgment to them but he still smiled on his people common grace is not common but unfortunately many times we consider it to be common okay um, another element of grace I don't I, I, I hesitate if I use the word type of grace I want you to yell at me okay because it's not a type there's not different kinds of grace but they're all wrapped into one package another element of grace is God's saving grace and we know Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says for by grace it is for for it is by grace that we are saved through faith and not of ourselves it is a gift of God we need to be saved and God provides that as a grace to us Carrie you said something last week towards the end where he had said it's impossible for us to be faith, uh, saved unless God gives us both the grace and the faith to be saved which is absolutely true that's what saving grace is saving grace says dude I like you but you, you ain't gonna make it okay unless 
the saving grace of God comes in and breaks in on the scene, okay? The other verse I want to say regarding saving grace is Romans 3, verses 23 and 4. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You ain't going to make it. You'll make it because you're cute and I like you and I know you're saved. But if somebody is not saved, they're not going to get it. Unless the grace of God comes in, breaks in on the scene, and they receive God's leaning forward in favor towards them. Okay? Third kind. I don't know what else to call this besides a sanctifying grace. This is the third element of grace. Okay? God's sanctifying grace gives us the ability to live a set-apart life. That's what sanctification means. We live set-apart for God. We don't live our lives for us. We don't take our life and add God to it. We are completely separate, and I'm separated only to God. That's a sanctifying grace. And there's a scripture, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Your ability to walk in a holy lifestyle is only by the grace of God. That's it. You can't say, yeah, but I did really good yesterday by the grace of God. And only by the grace of God. Because what does it say back in, in, um, in Genesis with the, uh, before, before God brought the flood? He says, every inclination of man's heart is wicked every part, all the time. There's not a time that man left to himself has a good heart. Okay? So, and, and you could use that also when somebody says, yeah, but people are basically good. Yeah, they're basically not. Unless they have the grace of God that helps them to live a holy and sanctified life. The fourth element of grace, and again, there's probably more, but in my studies, this was, this was the fourth one that is blaringly obvious as we go through uh, scripture. And I call it a power-filled, power-filled grace or a sustaining grace. And the easiest, easiest example that most of us will know is Paul's thorn in the flesh. Right? And he says, three times I pray, God, remove this thing from me. And he says, eh, my grace is sufficient for you. Okay? I'm paraphrasing. But the moral of the story is, in our hardest moments of life, God says, I'm with you. It's good. You're good. Oh, by what power? By the power that is in the, uh, the, the sustaining grace of God. Okay? So, uh, recently I heard a quote from Charles Finney. I could not identify, the, I couldn't find the quote myself. Um, so I will give it to you as I heard it. But Charles Finney said this, before people can really understand the grace of God, we must first understand that we all deserve nothing but judgment. That's a powerful statement. If you don't think you're a sinner, you ain't ready for grace. Because you don't need it. Okay? The thing that puts us over the edge is when we come to the realization that I need a Savior. Pastor Mark tells the story from time to time about the guy that showed up to the, to the pearly gates. And, the, and he was given, you know, St. Peter gives him the test. 
gives him, you know, all these questions over there. And after all these questions, a couple of dozen questions, he's got like five points. I can't do it on my mind. I need mercy. Come on in, he says. That's true. That's very true. The grace of God is available to all of us that will accept it and to receive it. Okay? So when here in verse 5, he says, through him, Jesus Christ, we have received grace. What he's saying is, these elements of grace have come only by God. They've only come by him. And without them, we have no commission to go forward because we can't. Okay? God's, okay, God put, I think, a singular focus on us to be able to walk a life filled with grace and an understanding of grace. And that is stop trusting in ourselves. Because you can't do it. You can't live a holy life. You can't be saved. You can't make it through the hard times. You can't do any of it unless you stop trusting in yourself and realize you need a savior. Paul, uh, Pastor of Mark's story, I need a savior. Save me. That's grace. And it comes only from God. Another word that, uh, that is used here in verse 5 I want to dive into is another one of those words that we understand it. I understood it in part, but it took years and years and years of me really pressing in and then finally having a breakthrough and a revelation from God on what it actually is. And that's the word faith. Now, some of you, did you go to Bible college, Gary? Okay. Some of you, anybody else, Bible college, Bible student? Okay. Some of this may be a refresher to you. So I'm going to need you at the back end of this an open discussion if I've missed anything on this. But faith is this. Faith is not this. It's not belief. And unfortunately for most Christians, myself included over the years, and most that I come in contact with, they use the words faith and um, belief interchangeably. Now, if you were in my last one, Susan and Mary, the last time I facilitated a group and we were going through Hebrews, I went in depth and I, 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 I broke down that word faith and what it is. Um, I'm going to spend less time on it today. But understand, faith and belief are not synonymous terms. Whenever you see the word faith and you do a word study and see that it is the Greek word pistis, that only comes from God. That word faith only comes from God. So let me, let me tell you like this. I wrote down this little scenario. Uh, has anyone not seen my car? Carrie, you haven't seen my car, right? I have a red car. Now you have a choice to make. You can either believe I have a red car or not believe I have a red car. You've never seen it, but you can either believe it or not believe it. And your assessment on whether or not I have a red car is solely based on what you know about me. Does this guy really have a red car? Number one, does it even matter? Number two, eh, I'm convinced. He seems like a nice guy. He must have a red car. That's belief. It's not faith. If I tell you something and you're convinced of it, using outward um, uh, stimuli and knowledge of things, and you come in, you're convinced of it, that's the word belief. And we're going to hit that in a little bit. But I want to talk about what Strong's number 4102 mean, the word pistis. And I, I shared this a little bit earlier in that last group, and I, I have to be very careful. I understand this word may take some meditation for folks. 
And the reason I say that is because I, I got so excited one scripture, when I, when I finally got it, when I finally understood what this word faith meant, I went and I shared it with my wife and she's like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so I'm praying for spiritual sight and I'm praying that you will understand by the spirit of God what I'm saying because when you understand this word, I promise you, it'll change your life. It'll change your walk with the Lord. The word pistis is always a gift from God. The word faith is always 100% of the time a gift from God. There is nothing that you can do to stir up faith within yourself. If it's truly faith, it only comes from God, okay? For believers, this word faith is God's divine persuasion. In other words, he speaks to our spirit to say something and we're convinced of it, but we don't really know why. Has anybody ever done that and been through a situation where God spoke something to you that you had no idea what he was talking about, but you're like, yep, that's true. Let me give you an example. When Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. And 500 disciples went, pew, we're out of here. And then there's the 12 homeboys that are with him. Okay. And he looks at them and he says, well, what about you guys? Are, are you going to leave too? And Peter looks at him and he says, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. Translation. I don't have a word. I have no clue what you just said. But something inside of me resonated. Something inside of me leapt like John the Baptist when Mary walked in and greeted, his, greeted her cousin. The baby leapt with inside of her. That's faith. It's something that God deposits within you that persuades you to come into a, a deeper revelation of what he's saying. Okay? Um, the Lord, and this is from Strong's, the Lord continuously births faith into a yielded believer so that they know what he prefers. Um, if God were to tell Mary, Mary, I want you to go to Africa. I want you to speak to me like that. Okay, Mary <laughs> is a bad example. <laughs> no, well, that's good. So if you were to have an inclination in your heart that God said he wants you to go someplace, number one, you didn't want to go to Africa. Number two, you don't want to go to Africa. But number three, you know or you believe in your heart that God has spoken something to you. What he did was he deposited something of himself in you to persuade you to do the very thing that he said. But that didn't come from you. There is nothing you can do to generate faith. <clears throat> now, when I say that, some of you, Janine, I don't know if you're thinking this, but you kind of, your eyebrows went up a little bit. There's a number of places in scripture, 30 to be exact, and no, I'm not gonna quote them right now, that it says your faith or their faith or his faith, or my faith. And I want to clarify that because I think that's the number one thing that throws us off. Man, I just don't have the faith to believe it. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I don't have faith. God, help me with my faith. <coughs> we know what Jesus said. If you have faith of a, the size of a mustard seed, you can speak to this mountain and it, to be removed and it'll be cast into the ocean. Done. 
So it's not a quantity of faith, it's the fact, the fact that it's faith at all. Okay? So what does this your faith mean? When Jesus told uh, the woman, your faith has made you whole. The number of times that he said, your faith has been, their faith, you know, by their faith, you can get up, take up your mat and walk, right? Am I the only one that's seen that in scripture? So Don, if Jesus is saying it's your faith or it's their faith, then how can you say it's something from God? Because it is, you're welcome. But I'll even elaborate a little bit more, okay? Um, I'm going to read it out of the Strong's because it makes a lot more sense. When you see the word your faith or his faith, her faith, whatever, in Scripture, there is a Greek definite article uniformly. Every time that you see your faith, his faith, their faith, there is an article within the Greek that is used whenever you say your faith, their faith, and it occurs over 30 times. I mean, it, it uh, yeah, occurs over 30 times in the New Testament in the Greek. The construction with this article refers to a principle of faith which is God's gift or his guarantee that it's going to happen that principle of faith operating within you it's kind of like Lane no I'll go back to Carrie I give you my red car okay that's no longer my car that's your car to do whatever it is that you want if you do good things with it that's your faith. Does that make sense? It's a possessive article. It isn't, Susan, your faith and what you drummed up of yourself. It's the faith of God that has been deposited in you that you're using for whatever that thing is that God has spoken. Does that clarify that? The word faith is never something you can do. I beat myself up so many times. I just don't have the faith to do it. I don't have enough faith. Stop it. You have the faith of Jesus Christ. And we're going to cover that as we move through the book of Romans. You have the faith of Jesus Christ. And he could walk on water. It's your coming into agreement and possessing and doing with that faith that which God has persuaded you to do. Good? Everybody good? Yeah. All right. If not, write it down. We'll talk about it in a minute. There's much, much more that we could say on faith, but in the interest of time, because I am monitoring the time, I got to move through, okay? Verse 7, verses 1 through 6, Paul talked about who he was, his credentials. Verse 7, he talks about who he's writing to, which is kind, and it's thoughtful, and it's appropriate. But he says in verse 7, to all who are in Rome, he doesn't say all Romans, He's writing to the church in Rome. Beloved of God. And I'm just going to clarify. I didn't do a word study. Beloved of God means pretty much everybody because God loves us. So he's writing to everybody that's in, in Rome, in the church in Rome, who God loves, called to be saints. Would you do me a favor and read out of your translation again? Verse 6 and verse 7. Because something in what you said I wrote it down, Judy, verses 6 and 7. And you, dear friends in Rome, are among those he dearly loves. You too are invited by Jesus Christ to be God's very own. Stop. That's what the word called means. It's an invitation from God. It's an invitation from God to go deeper with him. 
okay? So he's writing a letter to everybody in this particular church that God loves, and he's inviting them, or they have been invited into a relationship with God. And that covers those people that are, that are already walking in faith and those that will walk in the faith. It's, it's not mutually, mutually exclusive, okay? It covers everybody. God desires that all would be saved. I got a bunch of verses over here, but we're familiar with that. First uh, Timothy 2.4, 2 Peter uh, 3.9. Um, so this word to Romans is written to all of us. It's written to those that are saved and those that are not. Okay? How we doing? We doing okay? Verse 16. Whoa! We just went from verse 7 all the way down to verse 16. The meat of what I want to share with you today is in verses 16 and 17. Okay? We can come back and we'll come back if you want and we'll, we'll talk about the other verses because there's some good uh, stuff on in there. But what he says in verse 16, turn the page. What he says is, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of uh, Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Has anybody read that and just kind of, it wasn't even a speed bump. You just keep running over it. Not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God, Christ Jesus, uh, believe in Jew first and in the Greek. I have. Well, I thought about it. Okay, good. Right. So we're going to cover in depth what this is. And as will happen from time to time, Mary and Susan, Kyung, you know this, I'll give my own kind of paraphrase. This verse, to me, God has been speaking this for weeks to me. And I want to give you a paraphrase that helped me, okay? But first, why would Paul say he's not ashamed of the gospel? I'll tell you why. Because this was not his first missions trip. He wasn't talking about his first mission trip. It's believed that this was in AD 56, that he's in Corinth. He's writing to them, preparation, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, drop off the offering. On my way to Spain, I'm going to stop by and see y'all. This is not his first time preaching the gospel. And for him to say he, he is not ashamed of the gospel indicates that he has been humiliated or they tried to humiliate him over the years for his faith. For the, the gospel and what it is, the totality of what the word is. Because remember, whenever Paul would go to a new place, he would go into the synagogue first. He would preach in the synagogue first. And for people that were still under the law, what was being said of the gospel was foolishness. Absolute insanity. And Paul says, hey, yo, I know y'all already know the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. There's nothing that you can say to me that's going to embarrass me or humiliate me. That's how powerful the gospel is, okay? And I, the reason I, I wanted to get that out for you guys and for me guys is because have you ever been in a situation where you've shared a message of the gospel and somebody has laughed at you, humiliated you, put you down, made you embarrassed? That I don't believe that. Did you shy away from that? Were you ashamed of the gospel? Or did you push forward? Paul says, I'm pushing forward. I don't even care. If I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. God loves you. I love you. But this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to be ashamed of it. That's the kind of resolve we need to have to people within our sphere of influence. Okay? 
Second, the gospel. I think everybody has heard that the gospel, the word gospel means good news. I want to clarify something about the gospel. I have a friend of mine that has not yet made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. I may or may not have shared this with some of you all. But one of the things that he says, he looks at me and he says, let me ask you a question. Now, he always brings up the spiritual matters or generally brings up spiritual matters. And this one time, I don't know where it came from, but he says, let me ask you a question, Mr. Bible Man. He didn't call me Bible Man, but it makes the story more interesting. He says, let me ask you a question. He says, do you believe there's a heaven and hell? And I said, yes. And he says, do you believe that if I don't accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'm going to burn in hell? That's a pretty point blank yes or no question, okay? And this is coming from a guy that has not yet made a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And yet he has a Bible by his table, uh, by his uh, uh, nightstand, and he reads it. And he says, are you telling me I'm going to burn in hell if I don't accept Jesus Christ? And then I went into this kind of flowery tap dance around because, and and he made me point blank him. But the reason is because that's not the gospel. If somebody comes to you and tells you that you're going to burn in hell if you don't accept Jesus, that is true, but it's not the gospel. Anybody feel great when somebody says you're going to burn in hell? I was saved. My mom told me I was going to burn in hell once. Even though I was saved and I knew I wasn't going to burn in hell, it didn't feel good. When we were first here at Karis, our Manchester, you know him? No, I don't. He's from South Africa. So it's your, you know, it's our first few months into it, and we were in the um, the big audit, the main auditorium, uh-huh. you know, that first part that they built. And he said, I, I really thought he was like really overstepping, you know, because we all have a lot of religion in us, mm-hmm. whether we realize it or not. And, uh, he says, um, if the gospel doesn't make you feel better about your future in God and more excited and more hopeful, I don't care who's preaching it, it's not the gospel. And of course, dead silence in the room. Some people were waking up out of a sleep going, what did he just say? I did, I was like kinda, and I go, and he goes, I'll repeat it. Mm -hmm. And then he began to explain it. Mm -hmm. He said what you kinda were saying. He said, it may be in the Bible, it may be a verse, but the Bible has particular mm-hmm. confinements to what is called the gospel. Mm-hmm. And the gospel is not, you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. Now, is it true that those that reject God are gonna go to hell it by is their true. Own choice because they reject God's love? Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell you, I can't tell you over the years and then I'll be quiet. How many people have said to me, oh, like condemning me, and I always tell them, listen, I'm gonna share your Bible verse. If you wanna hate on me, that's cool. But go hate God and go argue with him and complain to him because I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what it says. I didn't write this thing. Right, right. And it's, if God is so loving, then... Fill in the blank. Whatever. Fill in the blank. But he said that about the gospel, and I never forgot that I go, Yeah. the gospel, it may be a verse in the New Testament or the Old Testament, but the gospel has boundaries Mm -hmm. to what is considered the gospel. That's absolutely right. And that's exactly where I'm going with this. I so appreciate how to explain all that. I'm hoping the revelation that I have will help with that. Because because there's a lot of times that people will get on up and they'll quote quote scripture that will make people feel really, really bad. 
but gospel does not mean truth in the Bible that makes me feel really, really bad. The word gospel means good news. I heard Andrew Womack say it means really, really, really good news, like almost too good to be true news. Now, I don't know about all that. I couldn't find it in Strong's, but he's a lot more knowledgeable in the scripture than I am. What I will say is it means good news. And I would go as far to say really, really good news. And in my experience, walking through this planet, anything that has made me feel bad, I never really considered to be good news. So when you consider sharing the gospel with people, do it in such a way that it's good news. And I'm going to share with you what I believe the Lord revealed to me on how to do that and the mindset to come at it, okay? Uh, and the gospel is only good news. We're going to discover the depth of the good news of Jesus as we read through the Romans, but I want to make a note here. Paul comes on in and he never says the gospel, comma, and this is what it means. But the people that were in Rome that were reading this letter or having this letter read to them knew what the gospel was. So with your permission, I'm going to take liberty and I'm going to say what I believe Jesus was saying, uh, what Paul was saying. The gospel is, remember in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Okay? This is my summary of what the readers and the hearers understood I am not ashamed of the gospel to mean that gospel of Jesus Christ is this. Everything that Jesus did for you when he walked on the planet and everything that he's done since. He traded his righteousness for our filthiness. That's good news. He traded his strength for our weakness. That's really good news. When I'm weak, he's strong and I can have that strength. That's amazing. His holiness for my sinfulness. Man, that's really good news. That's amazing news. That's the gospel. He traded his life for our death. We were destined to die in our sins. And he came in and gave his life that we could have life. Man, that's some really, really good news, right? He was and is the son of God, but he laid down his power as God to walk the earth as man but as a sinless man and a blameless man, fully submitted and surrendered to God and working under the influence of the Holy Spirit to satisfy the requirements of a law that we could never fulfill. That's who he was. That's really good news. And when the hearers heard this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, that's what they understood. But we don't understand that. Some people will say, the Bible in its entirety is the gospel. And I agree with that, but any verse taken out of that could prove otherwise when we read something out of context. But from cover to cover, it is amazing news. Okay? He did this, all of this, to pay a debt that we could never pay. To give us life and a peace and a deliverance. That's good news. And when we are in front of somebody that is not saved, that is hurting desperately in need of hope. And we say, I got hope for you. You're gonna burn in hell if you don't accept Jesus. Mm. That ain't the gospel. It isn't, it isn't. 
They need hope. Jesus gave us hope. He's the only one that can give us hope. Okay? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul was saying, that gospel, I'm not ashamed of it. And then he says, uh, and then he goes on to say, for it is the power of God for salvation. I want to talk about the power of God for a moment. Because I think that we just like, power of God, in Jesus' name, that's awesome. But what is, what is the gospel, what is the power of God within, contained within that gospel? Let me share. It's an excellent question. Let me share with you. It means, or the power is the same root that we use for dynamite. It's an explosive power, right? And salvation, it's the power of God for salvation. Salvation doesn't mean that I'm going to go to hell in the sweet by and by, everything's going to be awesome. Salvation, when you look it up, it means welfare, prosperity, deliverance, preservation, salvation, and safety. So when it says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, it's saying when you share the gospel, contained within that gospel is power within itself to give people all those things, welfare, prosperity, deliverance, preservation, okay? It's not just a get out of hell free card. It's so that I can live a life and a life to abundance in this age and the age to come as Jesus said. You know, people get saved and say the sinner's prayer and don't know the power that they have. But that gospel message, when spoken, contains within itself the power for everything that is Jesus Christ. And that's some good news, too. The word, now, I want to say this as kind of a side note, because as I was preparing this, it dawned on me that some people may misunderstand that the gospel causes people to be saved, and that's not true. But within the gospel, the power to be saved is there. But then the next words it says in verse 16 is, to those that believe. Now we're going to talk about the word belief. That word belief is not faith. God is not going to give you the ability to be convinced that the gospel is real and true and life. He won't. The power to believe it is there. The responsibility to believe it is up to each and every one of us. I can share the gospel till I'm blue in the face. But if you're not, if the person I'm sharing it with is not convinced that it's true or that it's helpful or that there's life there, then, then that power does not exist for them to be saved because it only exists for those that believe, okay? You didn't have to believe it coming in, but when you heard it, you're like, that's, that's nearly too good to be true. I don't, I can't, I can't imagine that I've never heard that message before. And when that happens, your belief comes up, now there's power for you to be saved. But the gospel in and of itself does not save anyone. We know in Ephesians 2, it says, for it is by, by grace through faith that we're saved and not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, okay? Um... I believe that if a person is convinced of the gospel, they believe it, the power to be saved is wrapped up in it, and then that power and their belief, when it meets, creates with them, God says, okay, that one there, let me give him his faith so he can get the rest of the way. 
we run and we can only get so far. But unless God then deposits faith, there's nothing that we can do. You had mentioned that last week, and it's absolutely true. And then it says at the end of verse 16, for the Jew first and then for the Greek. Now, some people, I'll raise my hand. I'm not going to lie to you. Just spend a lot of time looking at that and say, well, wait a minute. Are the Jews better than I am? The reality is God is not a respecter of persons. However, let me give you a couple of verses to chew on. John 4, 22. The, John, uh, Jesus is with the woman at the well. John 4, 22, he says, You worship what you do not know. We worship, being the Jews, we worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews, or from the Jews, depending on your translation. Salvation is from the Jews. I like, I like the little scrunchy eyes that you're making there, Miss Judy. Do you know why? Jesus came as a Jew, okay? Salvation is from the Jews, foundational. The Jews were God's chosen people. And we'll see when we get to Romans 9 through 11 that God hasn't given up on the Jews, even though their hearts have been hardened, okay? Isaiah 2, 20, Isaiah 2 verses 2 through 3. This is wonderful. Write those down, go back and look at them, but let me read them to you right now. Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3. This was so eye-opening. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above all the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. First the Jews and then the Greeks. Salvation comes through the Jewish people in the person of Jesus Christ. But he didn't leave us alone. And remember, he's not a respecter of persons. He loves everybody. Remember what I was sharing earlier. His desire is everybody will be saved. He doesn't care your blood type, your skin color, the na nationality, what language you speak. He don't care. But that the word of the Lord is true, and it's always true. And it will always be true. If it ever stops, we're all going to implode. And he said... Israel is his chosen people. They're not better, but they're first. Okay? So hopefully, Miss Judy, that clarifies things when you said that, yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. We are not lesser. And in verse, chapters 9 through 11, we'll see we're not greater. We're all God's kids and all his creation. Now, I promised you Don's paraphrased version of verse 16. Because if you go through there and you read it, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Hopefully now you have a deeper understanding of what is grace, what is faith, what is the gospel. But I also was inclined to write a paraphrase to help me understand and hopefully it helps you. This is a paraphrase. I am no Greek scholar, but based on my revelation of what he's saying, this is what Paul was saying. I am not ashamed to tell you what I know to be true about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the really, really good news of everything that Jesus did and made available for us to do. 
He was and is the Son of God. But he laid down his power as, uh, as God to walk the earth as man. But he did it as a sinless and a blameless man, fully submitted and surrendered to God, working under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He did this as an example of the life that we too can live when we're fully submitted to God. And in his name, we can do everything that he did and more. This really, really good news of Jesus contains within itself the explosive, miraculous power of God, which can completely transform your life, your relationships, your mental and physical health, and deliver you from God's rightful wrath. But this power is only available to anyone and everyone that is convinced and confident that this news is true. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. So why That's a great question for chapters 9 through 11. Yeah. yeah. It's an excellent question. Yeah. Well, so we're responsible for our own walk with the Lord. And, and Paul does address that in chapters 9 through 11. So if you can hold on for, I say a few weeks, it's going to be a couple months before we get there. But if you can hold on, we'll go over that. Because it's that very question that Christians have been asking all along. Okay. Um, I wanted to share with you a, a, a quote that I got from Dwight Moody, uh, D.L. Moody. He's, he said this about the gospel. He says, it's like a lion, and we simply need to open the cage and get out of its way. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that powerful. It can accomplish everything that it's set out to do. We just need to open it up to people. We don't need to make a decision for people whether or not they'll believe. We just need to share the gospel and get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do what he's going to do. It has within it the power for salvation. And we can over-explain it or under-consider uh, the power of the gospel and make a decision for somebody not to believe or to believe. Okay, We have to just... Preach the gospel, not be ashamed of it, not be moved if they call us names, laugh at us, you know, spit on us. I don't see anybody spitting on you, Justin, but if it happened, if you're sharing the gospel, let it go. Let it go. Verse 17, I'm going to just hit this real quick. Verse 17 says, For in it, speaking again of the gospel, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just, the just shall live by faith. The gospel we know, because we've just covered it, okay? The righteousness of God, that word righteousness means uh, justice or justness. The justness of God, okay? He is just. We deserve to be killed in our transgression because of his justice. But in the gospel, it gives us that. And it says, the gospel, the right, righteousness of God is revealed, it's uncovered, it's brought to light. When you hear the gospel, the righteousness of God is opened up to you. Something that you hadn't seen before, something that you hadn't heard before, it's uncovered. And it says, from faith to faith, as it is written, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the just shall live by faith. Let me conclude like this, okay? 
that verse is so powerful. Because when we understand the gospel and we yield to what God is doing in us, remember what faith means? I can't stir it up myself. God gives me the faith and I go from faith to faith to faith. I have a walk with him. Um, consider it like this. It's God's persuasion, right? That's what, what it literally means. God departs in us something that, to persuade us to believe. When we believe the gospel and walk with the Lord, we go from, from a deeper understanding and revelation of, of Christ and of God and his love for me to an even deeper revelation of God and his love for me to an even deeper revelation. That's the power of the gospel, okay? Summarize. The gospel is the really good news about what Jesus did and everything he offered us. Um, the really good news of Jesus isn't just a good story, but it uncovers the justice of God to judge us for our flaws, but also the love and heart of God to enable and empower us to live a holy and fulfilled life here on earth. So many people miss that. Please don't miss that. God didn't save us just for the sweet by and by. God saved us that we would have life and life to the fill. God saved us that our life would be like before we were saved in front of us is a calm pond. And then God takes a rock and throws it right in there. And there's ripple effect that happens as it goes out and goes out and goes out. That's why he saved us. Bring as many as you can with you. Come on in, son. How many guests did you bring with you today? The banquet is served, okay? Um, best of all, when we share the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and hopefully today I, I, I've provided something through the revelation that I have that it's helped you to understand what the true gospel really is. But when we share that true gospel, that spoken word carries within it miraculous power. We can't save anybody. There's not anybody here that can do anything to bring anybody to salvation. But what we can do is share with them the good news of what God did for us. And, and then, like the lion coming out of the cage, just get out of its way. Okay? Um, so, with that, that is verses 1 through 17. I am going.